I'm Jonathan Mosen. This is Mosen at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. This week, more on New Zealand's Royal Commission into abuse in care. Should we give up on the word blind and just use another word? And a comprehensive review and demonstration of the Vocaster 2 audio interface from Focusrite. Mosen at Large Podcast. It's good to be back with you once again. I hope you've had a good week. The weather's been a bit extreme all over the place. All the best to everybody in the Northern Hemisphere, some of whom are coping with some extreme heat. And in the UK, when it gets hot, what I found when I visited the UK in the summer is that they don't do heat very well. Not in many places. I have been in hotels in the UK during a temporary bout of heat where I have never been so uncomfortable in my life because they didn't have any air conditioning and it was just horrible. And I suspect, sadly, that with global warming really making its presence felt, that is going to have to change and air conditioning in some of these places is going to be a lot more common. So here's hoping it gets a bit cooler by the time we head over there in September, which is getting ever closer. Meanwhile, over here, it feels like it hasn't stopped raining for goodness knows how long. It's been so blustery in Wellington, which has a reputation for being New Zealand's windy city. Somebody was tweeting the other day that they were walking down Featherston Street here in Wellington and the wind literally blew the mask off their face. Another person said that they were literally blown into the street by the wind. So it's been pretty ferocious here. Extreme weather all over the place right now. It's been a memorable week for me, and I wanted to share a little bit about this because it may help somebody, I'd like to hope so. If you were listening to episode 146 of the podcast, you'll recall that I spoke with Commissioner Paul Gibson. He's the lead commissioner of the Royal Commission on Abuse in Care here in New Zealand. And I had a chat to Paul because I was not aware until just a little ahead of that interview that Hormai College, the school for the blind in New Zealand, was under the jurisdiction of the Royal Commission. And I really wanted to let the blind community in New Zealand know that. But also, it is not a uniquely New Zealand problem. I've read all sorts of articles in all sorts of places about abuse at schools for the blind. Children are vulnerable, but disabled children are especially vulnerable. And as I've gone through this process myself, I've thought a lot about why is this? Why is it that around the world in these institutions, they seem to attract sadistic people and there is such systemic breakdown that this abuse is not called out it's not stopped people haven't been heard and there hasn't been justice when I was a child I was subjected to physical abuse by a teacher at the school for the blind and that turned into the most extraordinary psychological abuse deeply painful psychological abuse And I guess it's just been something that happened to me. It happened. It didn't define me. I like to feel like I got on with my life. I've done okay. Largely, I think, because of the lottery of family. I had an incredibly supportive family. My parents bought a house very close to the school for the blind so that I could be a day student and not bored at the school for the blind. And given the fact that there was a cover-up about my abuse and that the School for the Blind denied that it happened. They accused me of making up stories. They sent me off to a child psychologist, in fact, to try and find out why I was making up these horrible stories about a good teacher. 
If my parents hadn't unwaveringly believed in me, I think the whole trajectory of my life would have changed. I have so much to thank them for, and not all children were that lucky. Not all children have that support. If I had to go back to the hostels because I was a boarder at Homai, and those people at the hostels were part of the system, it's a real possibility that nobody would have taken me that seriously there either. God, I just don't know where I would be right now. I really don't. But I got on with life. I kind of lived with it. I have an enormous sense of guilt that when I became chairman of the board of the Blind Foundation, I sought to have the board come to terms with the past. A lot of people have a different view about this. A lot of people say, well, it's not the current people in charge who did these horrible things. They can't be held responsible. I think that's too simplistic. When you become a leader in an organization, you inherit its legacy, the good as well as the bad. But you're also making a legacy. Every decision that you take as a leader determines the future of the organization. And so when you're in that position of responsibility, if you're aware that there are serious things that you need to own up to, that you need to apologize for, then as the temporary custodian of that legacy, you've got to do it. And that was the argument that I made, and I could not get traction on that argument. And it has haunted me. It really has haunted me ever since. So I was able to talk about a lot of these things when I testified in public at the Royal Commission on Abuse and Care. I gave private testimony in November of last year. That was quite a difficult process. It brought up a lot for me that I hadn't thought about for years. But in a way, it kind of put some things into place. Why I find certain things so difficult. I still find being bullied unjustifiably very difficult. And in an age of social media, that's a little bit tough, you know, because if you have a profile, people will just tend to say anything about you to get attention. Who cares about the truth of the matter? If you can just get a bit of clickbait come your way, then great, you know, never mind about the effect that it's having on an individual. And I have found that tough. And I've realized that one of the reasons why I find it particularly tough is because of the psychological abuse after the physical abuse that I was subjected to as a child. So it's good to sort of understand myself a bit better. I was dreading last Monday. It had really been on my mind. It's something I felt like I had to do. I knew that there would be many people who just could not cope with getting in the witness box and testifying in public when it was going to be live streamed. There was going to be media there. But I knew that it was within me to do it. And I felt like I had a responsibility to do it not just for me, but particularly on behalf of those who just could not do that. I am one of these really odd people who loves to do public speaking. I enjoy it. I look forward to getting in front of a crowd. And the larger the crowd, the better. I do enjoy that. But for the first time in my life, I was really fearful. And I shared a bit of this on LinkedIn and Facebook. And some of the comments that I got back were just were all of them, actually. Without fail, all of them were very supportive ahead of my evidence. And I truly appreciate that. It really felt like I had a team of people behind me who perhaps understood just what I was going through and what a difficult process this was. So I gave my testimony and something has happened that I didn't anticipate at all. I feel so much lighter. You know, people sometimes use that expression about a weight being lifted off you. And 
I, for the first time in my life, I think, really feel that. I wondered if it was temporary. I woke up on Tuesday morning and I just felt different. I felt better. Now here we are into the following weekend and I still feel that way. Do you know what it's like when you have, say, a noise that's on in the background all the time, like a lawnmower going on outside your window or a vacuum cleaner, one of those kinds of machinery-type sounds that you almost stop noticing it because it's in the background or a very loud, noisy AC that might be on. And then suddenly it switches off and you think, whew, that was making a lot of noise, wasn't it? It's like that for me. I still will be very interested to see what the report of the Royal Commission says, what its recommendations are. Then, of course, the key thing is, how seriously will the government of the day take the recommendations that the Royal Commission is going to make? I think there'll be enormous pressure because people have spilled their guts, have talked about deeply personal things. Many of us have tried to bury those things for a long time just so that we can get on with our lives. And so we've been vulnerable. We've been out there. We've talked about these things. And the government will have to deliver on these recommendations that the Royal Commission makes. And New Zealanders are going to have to make absolutely sure that that is what happens. Some of the things that have been reported in the hearing on disabled people, deaf people, just broke my heart. It's <laughs> you, you can read the articles in various New Zealand publications about some of the evidence that was given. So the report will be anticipated and the government's response to that report is going to be anticipated even more. But one thing I do want to say to those listening in New Zealand is it is still not too late. You can come forward to the Royal Commission. I'd encourage you to listen to the interview with Paul Gibson if you haven't done so already. You can also go to abuseincare.org.nz. That is all one word, abuseincare.org.nz. And you can find out all the information that you could possibly want about how to confidentially give your testimony. I do want to emphasize that I know of several blind people who have come forward. Not everybody, hardly anybody, in fact, is expected or asked to go through that public process. I'm glad that I did it for me and for others, but most people don't have to do it. No one's ever pressured to do it either. And that part of the process for disabled people is now over anyway. So your evidence is taken in complete confidence. One thing that has struck me about this commission is just how very compassionate and careful of the survivors that they are. And that's another thing, by the way. I was called a survivor as part of this process for the first time. And to have been recognized as such, a survivor of that abuse, has in itself just been validating and incredibly liberating. So it's a good process. It's a fair process. I realize that it's also a painful process for people. Counseling is available they take great care of those people who are coming forward to tell their truth. So if you are in New Zealand and you have something that you want to tell the commission, I encourage you to give consideration to coming forward. Only you can decide whether it's right for you. But check out the website at abuseincare.org.nz. And I understand that my evidence, as well as others at that hearing, will be available on demand if it's not already 
at some point soon. I wouldn't want to uh, go back and watch that again myself, but some people who missed it may want to check that out at some point in the future. Be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large. Opt in to the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show. You can stop receiving emails anytime. To join, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at M-O-S-E-N dot org. Stay in the know with Mosin at Large. We're saying hello to Anne Gunther, who's writing in, and she says, Hi, greetings from the middle of the middle of Europe to the World Blind Union podcast listening chapter. (laughs) I mean, Argentina, Botswana, Bulgaria. How cool is that, she says. It's cool. Yeah. She says, I just stumbled over your podcast, which I find very interesting and helpful. I started last week and am now working my way backwards, or should I say, through the episodes. I decided I'll keep going until I encounter tech information that's outdated by now. Official announcements about new products, etc. don't count. I'll let you know how far back I got. I have a short comment about reading Braille with formatting information like bold or italic text in NVDA. While you can't switch that on in NVDA's options directly, there is a pretty great add-on called Braille Extender. Among other things, you can get this kind of information on your Braille display with it. I would also like to talk a little about my thoughts about ableist language, because I think there are actually two sides to that problem. On the one hand, people using the German language have gotten into the unfortunate habit of calling situations or circumstances that are not ideal behindert, which means disabled in English. If that happens when I'm around, I always ask them if they really mean it. It usually takes them a second or two to get what I'm talking about, always followed by some kind of embarrassed apology. Actually, the term replaced schwul, which means gay. This, at one point, was mostly used in these kinds of situations. But with gay rights and gay people being somewhat more present in media in recent years, people seem to realise that that wasn't an acceptable term to use to express frustration. We'll see what and how long it takes to replace behindert and what it will be replaced with. I'm afraid but pretty sure it'll be another fringe group. Obviously, that kind of language is not okay, and I'll comment on it whenever I'm around when someone uses that saying. That's one side. On the other hand, a washing machine disconnected from its water pipe is disabled, and cars need mirrors because otherwise there would be a blind spot. That's just organically grown linguistic history without any malicious intent. In fact, without having tested it, I dare say, if you were to Google blind, the majority would be about the metaphorical use of the word. So I'm not sure how much sense it makes, or if we even have the right, to demand that people stop using words that are obviously a part of daily language. So what I'd like to do is propose instead the creating and strong promotion of a term that refers to us as blind folks, something like non-sighted or sightless. There's probably better alternatives. I know that something like that can actually work, because for German, someone at some point created the term Gehörlos to refer to people without hearing, 
the literal translation would be hearingless. So today, it's considered impolite to refer to these people as deaf, and the term isn't used in the media or in public speeches and other similar situations anymore. With younger generations also using duhurlis when talking about people without hearing in everyday conversations. While that may not be a perfect solution, I think it would be a step in the right direction, and in the long run, the smaller mountain to move. And Anne's got a whole lot of tech questions and comments. Before I go on to that, I'll deal with this one first. Anne, I respectfully disagree with this. And if I may say, it seems to me that your arguments contradict each other. You're expressing rightful concern at the use of a pejorative term to refer to disabled people. And it sounds to me like the way I hear a lot of young people referring to something that they don't like or that they don't approve of as lame. I believe that's the translation. So we have this in English too, where people think that an idea isn't a good one and they say, what a lame idea that is, or I didn't like that movie, it was so lame, and on and on it goes. I've also heard people using gay in the same way, and you're right, justifiably so. The gay community has clamped down on that very effectively. I think we have a lot of lessons as a disability community to learn from the gay community. When you look at how much change they have been able to achieve, not just legislative change, but most importantly, attitudinal change in such a short time, it goes to show that with consistent, appropriate, staunch advocacy at all levels, you can achieve remarkable change in a short time. I reckon if you had polled most countries, say 30 years ago, on the question of whether gay marriage should be legal, you would have had an overwhelming majority of people come back and say, what a weird idea. It wasn't something that many people considered back then. And yet now, many Western countries have laws permitting gay couples to marry, and that's as it should be. When we get onto the subject of ableist language, I find that some people do get confused about what constitutes ableist language. So I fully agree with you that if you have a washing machine that's disconnected from the water supply or the power supply, that washing machine is disabled. No question about that. And I don't have a particular issue with that whatsoever. And use of the word in that context is totally consistent with the social model of disability. So just as a washing machine is disabled if it's disconnected from the water supply, I am disabled if I'm disconnected from accommodations that allow me to function in society. I also agree with you that if you have a car mirror that's missing or broken, then clearly there is a blind spot, because in that sense it means that somebody can't see what's going on around them. It specifically refers to vision or sight. What people object to when it comes to ableist language is the hijacking of the word blind to mean stupid or ignorant. So it's one thing to say, my mirror is broken, therefore I have a blind spot, which means I can't see what's going on. And another thing to say, you are blind to the consequences of this. You are a blind fool. Because you've transcended then from talking about physically seeing something to understanding something. And at that point, you have overstepped the line. You've gone over the boundary and you're acquainting blindness with stupidity and ignorance. That is the ablest language that so many of us are seeking to clamp down on. The second thing I would say about your comment, Anne, is I don't know why there's inconsistency there. 
We both agree that it's wrong to use the term gay as a pejorative to mean stupid or ridiculous or whatever. We both agree also that it's wrong to use the term lame as a pejorative meaning stupid or ridiculous. Why do you then think that it's okay to use blind to mean ignorant and stupid and inconsiderate? What is it about blindness that exempts it from the same consideration that you've given to other terms? If the difference simply boils down to longevity of use, I don't think that's particularly fair. And you see racial slurs that were used for centuries that are now not considered appropriate either. So we know that no matter how long something has been used, it doesn't mean that it's acceptable in 2022. I'd also say we were here first. The only reason why pejorative uses of the term blind have crept into the language is because blind people were kept illiterate and unemployed for centuries, and so sighted people have had a free run to portray us that way. Now, like the gay community, like women, like many others who haven't really had a say in their own destiny, we're speaking up. The answer isn't to change the language, in my view. The answer is to claim the language back. So when somebody says to me, actually, What's it like being a sightless chief executive or whatever, or visually impaired? I correct them. I say, I'm blind, and I'm damn proud of it. I'm proud to be blind. And we've talked about that on this podcast before. So as you move your way back through the podcast, you may well get to my piece on blind pride. It's time for us to take the word blind back and to tell sighted people to stop hijacking it And in fact, regarding your idea that there should be some sort of alternative word, it's already happening, or not so much a word, but a phrase. And we're hearing this now, pushed by sighted people at blindness agencies. RNIB, CNIB, to the best of my knowledge, you are both the worst offenders on this. And that is that people talk about people with sight loss. And every time I see this on Twitter, on social media, I call it out because if they are talking about somebody with sight loss, that is not me. I've never had sight, so I've never lost sight. Sure, if you're talking about a person with sight loss as somebody who has gone blind later in life due to accident or some sort of deteriorating medical congenital condition, go for it. Knock yourself out. That's a perfectly relevant use of the term people with sight loss. If you are calling me as someone who has been totally blind since birth, a person with sight loss, I am not. I'm blind. If you're interested in this topic, I highly recommend whizzing back through the archives to episode 142, where I interviewed Leona Godin, who has written a tremendous history of blindness. It was so inspiring. It's called Their Plant Eyes. Certainly in English-speaking markets, is available in a lot of the accessible format repositories. It's also available on Audible and Amazon Kindle and all those places. And even if you don't read the book, you might find the interview interesting. I also accept that there will be some cultural variations around the world. So I'm speaking as somebody in New Zealand, in New Zealand conditions. The deaf example you give is really interesting because here in New Zealand, and I'm pretty sure this is the case in countries like the UK and Australia and Canada and the United States, deaf people are proud of their deafness. They spell deaf with a capital D. There is a strong deaf culture and they would be very angry. If anybody tried to 
give them another word to use. They're deaf. It belongs to them. They're proud of it. And I really hope that the blind community continues to exhibit its emerging blind pride and its intolerance of people hijacking it to mean things other than the absence of sight. Right, I shall continue with Anne's email because it's nice and long. She says, now that I have told you some of my thoughts, I'd like some input from you and your listeners into two questions that I have. Firstly, I'm working as a speech-to-text interpreter. Since most people I encounter don't know what that is, I'll give a short explanation. It basically means that I transform spoken text into written text so people that are hard of hearing can read what is spoken. If people are interested, I can talk more about that at a later time. This missive is long enough as it is. Anyway, to do my job, I have to use Dragon Naturally Speaking. Whenever that program is open and I press the Windows key, the Dragon Bar, which is that program's menu bar, will pop open. I can often stop that from happening when I press space directly, after pressing the Windows key. But that doesn't always work, and it's also something annoying. So my question is, is there a way to stop Dragon from hogging the Windows key? I know that you get into the options and define a keystroke that'll open the Dragon bar. I did that, and the keystroke works fine. I really hope someone has an idea, because otherwise... I'll have to contact the Nuance support, and that's as easy as getting an appointment with a specialist doctor. (laughs) And I used to have this problem too. I really liked Dragon, and I used it for quite a while, but I found it incredibly buggy. And sometimes it would just completely destroy itself, and I'd have to reinstall it again. And I suddenly had this epiphany, epiphany, and I realized actually I was spending a lot more time tweaking Dragon and making it behave then it would have taken me to just write the damn things down in the first place. So I gave up on Dragon. I may well pick it up again and see how it is these days. But I do remember exactly this problem. I don't recall if I found a fix. I used to rely quite heavily on Brian Hartchin. He has written two utilities for Dragon to work incredibly well with JAWS. One is called JSay, and that is a full suite that for people who don't have the ability to use a keyboard really can make the difference between having access to the computer and not. And the other one that I was using called JDictate, which is really for those of us who can use the computer but like to dictate text into it. And when Dragon was set up and behaving well, the combination of JAWS and JDictate and Dragon Naturally Speaking was really something to behold. These days, I have to say, For my basic dictation requirements, Microsoft Dictation continues to improve, and it's okay. I find it does some really weird things sometimes as well, but it's okay. But maybe Brian's listening or someone's listening who has seen this business of when you press the start menu, the dragon bar pops up and can tell us how do you beat that thing into submission, because I do recall this being a problem. My second question, says Anne, is about JAWS. I parted ways with that screen reader in 2008 because it obviously didn't like me. So at some point I started to resent it as well. I used Linux for about two years but missed some easy ways to scan books. So I got back to Windows and have used NVDA since. I'm willing to give JAWS another chance, probably not full time, but as a tool in the arsenal because things like the text analyzer and the flexible web sound interesting. But now, here's my problem. I tried a recent JAWS version on my Windows 10 laptop in demo mode, 
and encountered a problem that's serious enough to make JAWS fairly unusable for me. I hope my explanation makes sense. In the standard QWERTY keyboard, you have two levels. The first one, where you only press one key at a time, and a second one, where you press SHIFT and another key. But I'm using a more ergonomic layout that's definitely easier on the hands. For this one, has a third and even fourth level. For example, if you press caps lock with H, you'll get the question mark. Definitely easier than having to stretch up to the number O. Unfortunately, JAWS doesn't speak these keystrokes correctly. On the Braille display, they're shown correctly, but only the letter key gets spoken. Since it has always worked fine with NVDA, it never occurred to me that it might not work correctly with JAWS. Since my programming knowledge is pretty limited, I don't know what the code difference is while handling keystrokes. But is there a way for me, some setting or something, to make JAWS speak them correctly? And I don't know the answer to your question for certain, maybe someone else does, but I wonder if it's relating to the JAWS keyboard driver, which might be intercepting those keystrokes. Given that you are getting a response on your Braille display, it doesn't sound to me like it's simply a case of changing the layout, because if that's all it was, you wouldn't be getting any response at all from the Braille display when you press those combinations. So it sounds like you have kept the caps lock key free from JAWS, but it may be that its keyboard driver is intercepting the results. I don't know if there's a workaround for that. Maybe someone else does. Before I end my prattling, says Anne, I just wanted to wholeheartedly agree with something you said about four or five weeks ago about not doing scripted interviews. I was, and hopefully will be again, volunteering for a radio station myself. I didn't sit in front of a microphone, but it was my job to make appointments with possible interview partners and prepare the interviews. Depending on their level of experience, the broadcasters stuck, more or less, to my prepared questions. The more experience they had, the more they used them just as a foundation. So, like I said, I wholeheartedly agree with you that you can't get real answers if people can script them in their head before the interview. Plus, it just sounds pretty awful. I know that because one time we allowed someone to write their answers down beforehand so she could read them because she was really nervous. When it was broadcast, it sounded like a really bad acted audio drama. So yeah, interviews that aren't real, so to speak, are just a bad idea. Thank you, Anne. I really appreciate your email. What's on your mind? Send an email with a recording of your voice or just write it down. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. That's J O N A T H A N at mushroomfm.com. Or phone our listener line. The number in the United States is 864 60 Mosin. That's 864 60 667 36. Welcome to my review of the Vocaster 2 from a blindness perspective. My name's Jonathan Mosen, I'm in New Zealand, and I've been podcasting since 2004. I'm totally blind, and predominantly I use Windows, with JAWS for Windows as my screen reader. Here in my studio, I'm recording with Reaper, and I'm talking into a Heil PR40. And the audio interface in the studio is a Focusrite Scarlett 8i6. This presentation is long and detailed, and some of it may not be of interest to you. If that's the case, you'll be pleased to know that the podcast is segmented by chapter. 
That allows you, if you're listening with a podcast app that supports the chapter feature, to skip between major sections of the presentation. It's often said that there's a book inside all of us to be written. And I think in the case of the blind community especially, there's probably a podcast inside many of us waiting to come out as well. Whether you're blind or sighted though, getting what you can hear in your head recorded, edited and published seems impossibly complicated to many. There's just so much jargon and intimidating equipment to learn about. What is an audio interface anyway? And which one is right for what I want to do? Do I need one of those portable recorders or can I produce everything with my laptop or my iPhone or my iPad, which I already own? What microphone is good enough? What's the best digital audio workstation and how do I get comfortable with editing? How do I set my levels, especially as a blind person who can't see the meters? And how do I include guests, either in person or remotely? How do I get that sort of punchy pro sound that I hear on so many other podcasts and it makes them sound so much better than what I'm recording? That's why in recent times, with the proliferation of podcasting, audio manufacturers are spending a lot of time developing devices geared at the podcasting market exclusively, designed to simplify things. But for us as blind people, there's a big gotcha. You add blindness into the mix and you have additional complexities. That great must-have tool that my sighted podcasting ninja friend swears by may be a non-starter for me because it's dependent on a touchscreen I can't use. So I might go and try another device, but it has inaccessible software. And this device, well, that's okay as long as I produce a cheat sheet telling me the order of the buttons and the sequence I should follow to get the job done. So when one of the most respected audio manufacturers on the planet comes out with a product aimed squarely at the podcast market, promising accessible software, that's always going to pique my interest. That's why I'm pleased to offer this comprehensive demonstration, review, and tutorial on the Focusrite Vocaster 2 audio interface. I'd like to thank Focusrite for providing me with a review unit. Even though they've sent this to me to review, they haven't sought to influence the presentation in any way. These are my opinions. While, as the name implies, the Vocaster range is aimed at the podcasting audience, Focusrite also believes it'll meet the needs of video bloggers, audiobook producers, voiceover artists, and live streamers. And in a blindness-specific use case, if you record screen reader demos on your computer, smartphone, or tablet, it'll definitely do that job nicely as well. Really, if you're doing any kind of spoken word recording or live streaming, Focusrite is hoping you'll take an interest in the Vocaster range. Devices in the Vocaster family are audio interfaces. That means they're designed to get professional quality audio into and out of your computer or iPad. That's an iPad that has a USB-C port. Because this is just an audio interface, it does not offer built-in recording functionality. So any recording that you do has to be done on the computer or the iPad to which you've connected the Vocaster. It's a compact device coming in at 225.5mm, that's 8.84 inches wide. It's 113mm or 8.45 inches deep. It's 50.5mm or 1.99 inches high. It weighs just 420 grams, so a little less than half a kilogram, that is 0.93 pounds. You configure the Vocaster device using software called Vocaster Hub, which is available for PC and Mac. I'm going to take you through the install process for a PC shortly. 
and you'll hear just how elegant and easy and accessible it is to install. At the time of recording, the Vocaster range consists of two devices, Vocaster 1, which I found on Amazon for $199, and Vocaster 2, which I found on Amazon for $299. Vocaster 1 will be enough for you if you never intend to have a co-host or a guest in person with you. Vocaster 2 gives you two microphone inputs and two headphone jacks, along with the other common features I'll be discussing throughout the demonstration. I know money is tight for many in our community, but if you can manage it, I would try to get the Vocaster 2, even if you don't think you need it right now, because your requirements may grow. But if you are the kind of person that finds this technology really daunting, the Vocaster 1 may be easier to operate because you don't have to be concerned with which microphone the multifunction knob is controlling. I'm going to satisfy some of the audio geeks who might be listening to this. So for those of you who want this device because you think it will help you get into podcasting, please bear with me for just a sec. The microphone inputs accept a range of microphone models, including both dynamic and condensers. If you're using a condenser microphone, the Vocaster family can provide the phantom power at 48 volts that it needs to operate. The preamps are getting very good reviews, boasting 70 dB of gain, so even if you have a notoriously quiet mic like the Shure SM7B, the Vocaster will drive it without breaking a sweat or requiring you to resort to a cloud lifter. It can record at a maximum of 48 kHz and 24 bits. It would be nice for those of us who have concerns about setting levels if it did 32-bit float, but there are other ways around that, and we'll talk about those at length in a little bit. The Vocaster 2 sports two 6.35mm headphone jacks, so you and your guest can hear what you're producing and optionally any remote guests. You can also connect external speakers if you want. Speaking of remote guests, guests can be brought in in various ways easily. This is one of the real selling points of this product. First, there's a TRRS jack on the device, so you can run a cable between the Vocaster and your smartphone or tablet. The fact that it's TRRS, tip, ring, ring, sleeve, means that the Vocaster can get audio into and out of the phone, so you can hear your guests coming in on the phone, and your guests can hear everything from the Vocaster. If the cable is just too much hassle, and you've opted for the Vocaster too, You can pair your phone or tablet using Bluetooth. The device supports Bluetooth 5. Now, if you have the Vocaster 2, I want to emphasize that when it comes to the cable and the Bluetooth, this is not an either-or situation. So you can cable up one device using your TRRS cable and have another device connected via Bluetooth at the same time. If you want to, you can use a computer to bring in your guest via any voice over IP solution, whether that be a lower quality consumer grade service like Zoom or Teams or pro services like CleanFeed. And you do this using the loopback features. Yes, I'm saying features plural. All those features are great for recording top quality screen reader demos as well. There are two separate stereo loopback functions. The Vocaster range ships with a three year warranty. And if you don't have a microphone or headphones yet, Focusrite also sells the Vocaster Studio Bundle, which includes the Vocaster interface, Focusrite's premium Vocaster DM14V dynamic mic, and HP60V closed-back studio headphones. 
I don't know much about the Vocaster DMV-14V dynamic mic, but I'm told that it includes a built-in windshield and shock mount, so it's good for professional results. So if you've always wanted to get into podcasting, but you have no gear at all, you are starting from scratch, Focusrite can sell you a complete solution. Obviously, if you want to opt for the additional hardware, that's going to cost you more. But all the Vocasters come with a $600 software bundle for free. That includes Hindenburg and Squadcast, as well as Acast. So in theory, you have everything that you need to record and edit and then publish your first podcast. I would caution blind users not to go too far down that rabbit warren of the included software, though, because in every case, there are more accessible choices. You can download Hindenburg Lite and that's yours to keep, but also you can upgrade it for a six-month trial to the full Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg is a digital audio workstation packed with dream features for producers of spoken word content, and it's undoubtedly a sensible decision for Focusrite to bundle it with this product. But Hindenburg isn't accessible, and the software developers know that it isn't accessible. So far, I've seen no expressed intention to rectify that. Acast is a podcast publishing platform that offers a free tier. I haven't explored this at length or set up an account, but I did go to their homepage and it does appear to be accessible. If you want to give Acast a try, then by virtue of being a Vocaster 2 customer, you will get a six-month influencer plan for free. Squadcast is an excellent tool for working with remote guests by recording the local audio and optionally video of each guest and uploading it to a central point, so you get the best possible quality. The Squadcast team are fantastic, but when I last looked at it, it was simply not as accessible as CleanFeed, which has become the gold standard in the blind community and elsewhere for remote audio recording. CleanFeed's understanding of and commitment to accessibility and working directly with the blind community is second to none. Nevertheless, if you want to give Squatcast a try, you may get on with it well enough, and you do get a three-month Pro Plus video trial just for purchasing a Vocaster or a Vocaster 2. And finally, there is an app called Amplify Studio. This is available for PC and Mac. You get a six-month premium trial of that product. This is not something I have played with at all, but I understand that it allows you to construct loops and other elements, which may be good for sprucing up your podcast and having little sweeps and other things that you might want to put between items of your podcast. With that background, let's unbox the Vocaster 2. Our next step in the journey is to unbox the Vocaster 2. And with me is the unboxing ninja, Heidi Taylor, who's always welcome on these podcasts. Welcome. Hello. Yeah. So we've got the Vocaster 2 out of the box that it came in, the shipping container. Mm -hmm. And now we have the actual box. So what have we got there? Give us a visual description. It's black. It says Vocaster 2. It has an image of one of its faces, which has three knobs on it and a bunch of symbols on the back of the box. It's telling me about how it has auto gain and enhance and connect and software and mute and Bluetooth. And there's a QR code to learn more. And then it's got... Information in many different languages, which I assume is just the same as what's written on the box as well. Okay. 
And it's not shrink-wrapped, and sometimes that can be a bit of a hassle to get into. So it's just got a kind of a flip-top, it looks like, in the cardboard box, but it's secured by some tape. Yeah. Right, so shall we untape it? Okay, I'll untape Do you okay. want me to? You can untape it if you like. I'll cut the tape. Yeah. You get all the good jobs. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Do you want to open it? Oh, so I get that good job. All right, then. Oh, it's your right. toy. Now pronounce this focus right. Open. At, oh, it's got some protective foam rubber on the lid to keep everything safe. And then right at the top, you can smell <laughs> as well as grab the Focusrite Vocaster 2. And it's wrapped in plastic. Yep. Just tape together. And just take the plastic off the device. And before I talk about the device in here, we also have a bit of other stuff, including... A, a lot of prints. So what have we got in there? Heidi, I'll hand it back to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We've got lots of booklets, important safety instructions, and then inside part of the cardboard housing, there's symbols for USB cables, so I assume they unfold and the cables will be in there. Let's do that then. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit tricky to get out though um i might let's oh if you lift the whole insert out of the outer box the cable was tucked in the side so we've also got a usb-c to usb-a cable so if you wanted to use usb-c to usb-c you'd need to supply your own because increasingly a lot of laptops and desktop pcs just have usb-c yes let's take a look at the device now and if I were to describe this, it's plastic. It's quite light. It's got kind of nice rounded corners. It yeah? does, yeah. Yeah, so a bit of nice industrial design. Thanks to Stefan at Focusrite, I do already know how this thing is laid out because he sent me a very good blindness-specific description of the device. So if we take the top row, you would have the device on a desk. It's got kind of little rubber feet that you can feel. And so you'd know which way is down. You also have a series of ports at the rear of the device and a couple of headphone jacks at the front of the device. So you just have the two jacks at the front. All the busy stuff is at the rear. And then you know that you have this laying the right way. On the top row, you've got three status lights. And I can't feel those, Heidi, I don't think. So are those lights just somewhere up the top? I assume they're behind the symbols on the screen, so they're definitely not tactile. Right, not so you won't feel those. Face. Once we plug it in, I have no doubt you will see them. Yeah. The three status lights, first you've got the 48-volt status light, and that is going to be active when you have phantom power enabled and a condenser mic connected. You'd probably want to leave phantom power off if you don't have a condenser mic what I would do if you don't know whether your microphone is dynamic or condenser is plug it in. If you don't get any sound, you can try enabling the 48-volt phantom power because on a very few number of occasions, you might brick the microphone if you turn on phantom power when it's not needed. The next status light is for Bluetooth, and then you have a computer-slash-host connection status light. Then we have three knobs and they're different sizes actually so the middle knob which is 
a key one, is quite large. It's metallic. It's really prominent. And then on either side, you have two smaller knobs. Now, none of these have pointers. And the middle knob, I'm just spinning it, it does not have a definite start and end point because it's an electronic control. So I'm just sitting here going, wee, to my heart's content, <laughs> spinning the wheel. The other two, they do have a start and stop point, that kind of analog controls. The far left control is the volume pot for the host headphones. And if you need to, you can control the speaker volume with this as well. That big middle dial will control the microphone that is selected. So you have to press a button. I'll explain this a bit later. Then you can turn the big dial, which never ends, to control the volume of the microphone you've just selected. And then the right control is the guest headphone pot. And then on the bottom row, you've actually got six controls. They are quite recessed. They're close together, but they're definitely tactually discernible from one another. You just have to count along, I think. And they definitely have a click when you press them, so you will know when you have. First, you've got the host mute button. What this will do is if you find that you need to have a wee cough <coughs> or tell off the dog or the cat or the baby or whatever, then you can press this button. It will mute the microphone, press it again, and it will unmute the microphone. Next you have the host enhance button. This is a very cool feature of this device, which gives you all built into the hardware some functions that you might need to get either with separate hardware or software plugins. And we'll demonstrate this when we get to demonstrating the software. Next, you have a feature that a lot of blind people will truly appreciate. And this is the host auto gain feature. We'll demonstrate this as well, but in short, you press the button, you talk at your regular volume that you're going to record with, and it listens to you for a brief period and sets the level accordingly. Super cool. Next, you've got the guest auto gain, and then the guest enhance button, and then the guest mute button. So the controls are the same left to right and then right to left for host and guest respectively. Anything to add there, Heidi? Does that look like an, an accurate description? That's an accurate description. Well, it, and, was, it was written by the man himself, Mr. Focus, right? So, you know, one would... Yeah, and, and just to note how the mute button is below the host dial, the guest mute is below the guest dial, so they line up nicely. Super logical and also quite tactile, so you won't have any problem with this once you get familiar with the layout. Now, on the front of the unit, as I mentioned, you have two 6.35 millimeter headphone sockets. And this is one for you, one for your guest. You can plug headphones in and listen to one another. Actually, Heidi, this is a much better solution than the headphone amp thing that we tend to use when you're in the studio. It and does doing... seem much more straightforward than our current setup. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's much more straightforward. All right. Yeah. Maybe perhaps not as flexible, but who needs a studio like this one? Not many people. No. I mean, the studio is a bit intense. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Let's take a look at the rear of the unit. And what I'm going to do is describe it as if you've got the thing on your desk and you're using it. And as a blind person, you're just going to reach behind it. You're not going to look at it. And I think that's a difference between the way a sighted person works and a blind person works. Mm. So on the far right of the device, you have a power button. And the really good thing about this power button is it is totally tactile. When you press the power button, it clicks in and you know that the power is on. When you press it again, it pops out again and you know that the power is off. 
on the top row, you've got a Kensington lock slot. Moving left, you've then got a Bluetooth button. And so you hold this button down and you put the device into Bluetooth pairing mode and we will cover that a little bit later. Next, you've got the phone connection, which we've already talked about in the preview of this device. It's a TRRS connector, 3.5 millimeter jack. So if you want to use this, you will need to go somewhere where you can purchase a TRRS cable. It needs to be TRRS at both ends. If you don't get the correct cable, you could get something that plugs in, but doesn't give you the full functionality of the device. Next, you've got a 48 volt phantom power micro switch. This is where you turn on whether phantom power is being supplied to the microphone. I'm going to go to the bottom again and start at the right hand side and we've got the USB-C port here. This is where you will connect the Vocaster 2 to your computer. Next to that is something that we're not going to spend too much time on, but it is a camera connection. It's a 3.5 millimeter TRS jack, just TRS jack. And if you do have a video camera, you can connect and sync your audio with your video. Next to the 3.5 millimeter jack on the bottom is a 6.35 millimeter jack. And that is the right audio output. This is where you can connect speakers to the device if you wish to. Right next to it is the left audio output, 6.35 millimeter jack. And then you've got those very unique, textually distinctive XLR connectors. The first is you trace your way leftwards on the device is the guest socket. And the one on the very left of the device with this rear panel facing away from you is the host microphone input. So XLR microphones are used in a more professional setting. You won't be able to plug a USB microphone into this audio interface. This is for reasonably pro microphone gear. But that said, you can get some really good quality dynamic microphones for a good price. Something like the Samsung Q2U or its successor, the Q9U, is available at a really good price. And you'll get an okay sound with that, particularly given that you have the dynamic audio compression options available on this device. And now we're going to do the install. I am going to be a rebel, look at me go, because I do have a USB-C to USB-A cable connected to my desktop computer, and I use this just for random USB-C devices that need to be connected, so I'm going to try connecting this cable to the back of the Vocaster. I've done that now, and now I'm going to power the unit on by pressing the power button at the back. And we heard the little sound from Windows. But I haven't heard any notification that tells me that anything has happened. What I believe is going to happen is that the Vocaster 2 will pop up as a drive and allow me to perform the install. So I suppose what I will do, you don't see anything on the screen, Heidi? No, there's no pop-ups or anything. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll go into File Explorer. Home, Items, View, Multi, Select, List, Box. And we'll go to the list of devices. View Modes, View Modes, Items view multi navigation pane search edit navigation pane tree view one this PC opened 
2, local disk C, Vocaster 2 USB E. And there it is, we'll activate that. Items view multi-select list box, not selected dot volume icon dot icons dot, 2 of 7, dot volume icon dot a, or dot inf. Click here to get started. F read me for more info dot html, Vocaster dot ico. Click here to get started. Five or seven. And there's a thing that says click here to get started. Now, I suspect that the reason why this didn't happen automatically is simply because of my autoplay settings. I don't like things happening automatically. But on your machine, it may well have just come up. It does have an autorun.inf file. And so it may have just executed. In this case, I'm going to choose the option that says click here to get started and see what happens next. Opening new window. Untitled Microsoft Edge page. Blank. HTTP my, my browser's popped slash, up. Slash customer dot focus dot com slash n slash jet started slash begin up and equals v22 welcome. And I'm taken to a page on the focus right site. Welcome to your new Vocaster 2 customer portal. Skip to main content. Focus right logo graphic. Main region. Vocaster 2 logo graphic. Welcome to your new Vocaster 2. Get started. Vocaster 2 graphic. Main region end. And there's just one link on this page. Link get started. Which is get started. So let's activate that link. Welcome to your new Vocaster 2 customer portal. Link get started. Welcome to your new Vocaster 2 customer portal. Link get started. Two regions, five headings and three links. Welcome to the easy start journey for your Vocaster average setup time. Five 30 minutes article. Create your account graphic. Create your account. We'll show you how to register your Vocaster and get everything you need to record and publish your podcast. Access your included podcast recording software, Hindenburg, and trials for podcast publishing subscriptions. Essential Software Graphic. Essential Software will show you how to install and use the Essential Software. Vocaster Hub is your very own software control room to set up your podcast. Included Software Graphic. Included Podcast Recording Software will show you how to install Hindenburg, the software included with your Vocaster. If you are new to podcast recording, we'll teach you the basics. Watch Tutorials Graphic. Watch Tutorials will show you how to make your first podcast with Vocaster. Choose from Tutorials for Hindenburg, or you can pick from a range of optional tutorials for other popular podcast recording software. I want to register my Vocaster 2. Just give me my essential software. Article and main region. Well, I think at this stage, I will just go for the essential software. I do have a Focusrite account already because I have a Scarlett 8i6 that I'm currently using to record this with. And so we will do the registration later. Article end. Link, just give me my essential software. Just give me the stuff, dude. I'll press enter. Welcome to the easy start journey for your Vocaster customer portal. Main region. Article region. Just give me my essential software. Link. Welcome to the easy start journey for your Vocaster customer portal. Link. Just give me my essential software. Two regions and four links. Customer portal. Skip to main content. Focus right logo graphic. Main region article lets install your essential software. Vocaster hub is essential for the operation of your Vocaster and allows you to control your Vocaster hardware. Step 1. Download Vocaster hub. Vocaster hub 1.0.0 Windows. Download. Wrong operating system. Step 2. Run the installer. Double click the Vocaster installer file and run the installer. Once installation has completed, restart your computer and run the Vocaster Vocaster Hub application. Run the installer Windows graphic. Step 3. Open Vocaster Hub. Open Vocaster Hub and then click the Continue Journey button below to continue setting up your Vocaster. Vocaster Hub Open Application Windows Graphic. Article End. Cont continue. So it's very clear. I'm going to download this Vocaster Hub software. Download link. You'll notice that this has got good use of ARIA, so you can jump to specific regions and there's a main region option there. I'll press Enter to download the Vocaster Hub software. Downloading, Vocaster Hub 1, 0, 0.x, 51.4 megabytes. Done.
There we go. It is done now, and you will remember if you listened to the Mosin at Large episode where I demonstrated the new JAWS Notifications Manager that I abbreviated that very long string that Microsoft Edge gives you. So now it just says done. I'll go into File Explorer Home. and go to my Downloads folder. Items Vocast, Vocaster Hub 100.x. And let's press Enter and launch the install process. Window dialog. C. Users J. Mosen Dropbox down. Next button. Cancel button. Next button. To continue, click next. If you would like to select a different folder, click browse. Edit. C. Program file. Select the components you want to install. Clear the components you do not want to install. Click next when you are ready to continue. Combo box. Full installation. In reality, full installation is the only option in this combo box, so we will just choose that because it's the only choice there is. You never know, they might be Select planning it. for the future. Back button, next button. And let's just see what's on the screen now. Group, ready to install. Setup is now ready to begin installing Vocaster Hub on your computer. Click install to continue with the installation, or click back if you want to review or change any settings. Next button. Install button pressed. Alt plus I, 0%. Cancel button, 100%. The installation is now complete. I'm going to repeat this process on my ThinkPad because in my studio I have my Focusrite 8i6 and a 22-channel mixer, but I do see a use case for me of having this device when I travel or when I'm out of the studio. So I'll repeat the install process and not put you through that on my ThinkPad, and the rest of this presentation will be recorded on my ThinkPad using the Vocaster 2. Let's switch to it now. We've now changed recording sources in every possible respect. I'm recording on my Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Carbon. We're using the Vocaster 2 as the audio interface. And while I'm on a Heil PR40, it's the guest microphone in the studio because it's easier for me to get the laptop and the Vocaster and things connected by the guest microphone. You may also notice that it sounds different, and the reason for that is that there is no software compression in this part of the recording. That's because I want you to be able to hear and evaluate for yourself the hardware compression options that are available in the Vocaster 2. We'll go through those extensively in a bit, but right now I'd just like to turn compression on, because I'm partial to a bit of compression, and we'll go with the radio compression. This is kind of punchy and deep. Since I'm connected to the host microphone for this recording, all I have to do is press the second button from the left on the bottom row of buttons that I described earlier, and that will enable whatever enhancement has been selected for that microphone in Vocaster Hub. I'll press it now. And you will hear things sound quite a bit different. The radio preset has kicked in. A definite change of sound there. And we'll explore much more about this a little bit later. First, I want to report that when I ran Vocaster Hub for the first time, once I'd installed it on my ThinkPad and connected the Vocaster to the ThinkPad, I got a message that the Vocaster Hub software needed to be updated. It was a seamless process to do that. And after that, I was told that there was a firmware update for the Vocaster itself. That also installed without a hitch, and I was up and running and able to explore the device. The first thing I'd like to do before we invoke the Vocaster Hub software for the first time is talk about the built-in support that you have in the Windows operating system. 
This will be of interest to you if you use an application like Studio Recorder. SoundForge may well support ACO by now. I haven't used it in a while, but there are some applications out there that don't support the ACO standard. Instead, they use what's available in the operating system. Another popular example of this would be the station playlist suite that is used for internet broadcasting. And also, it's relevant when you're looking at applications like Teams or CleanFeed or Zoom, anything that you need to route to certain places. Focusrite installs an application separate from Vocaster Hub, and it's actually generic to a lot of Focusrite devices. It's identical, for example, to what I have for my Focusrite 8i6. To get at this important application, you'll need to go to the system tray. And there may be another step required in Windows 11, and that's because Microsoft has chosen to hide some applications from the system tray, and you may need to manually enable it. To do that, you would go into taskbar settings, arrow through until you find the list of applications in the system tray, and make sure that the focus right one is selected. I've done that, and so I'm going to press the JAWS key with F11 to get to the system tray. Select a system tray icon dialog. List box. Notification Chevron. One of 17. Now, I'm using the Vocaster exclusively to do all of this, and so this is another example of how loopback works and how you too could record a screen reader demo with this. We'll go into a lot of detail about how a little bit later, but I'm going to press the letter F for Foxtrot. Focusrite Vocaster 2 sample rate. 48000 buffer size. 256 clock. USB internal synced. Let's bring up the context menu by pressing Alt with R. Context menu. Vocaster 2 settings. Our down arrow. Mixing slash routing. Expose slash hide windows channels. And that is a key one that we need to look at right away because this determines what windows will see. And by default, not all of the inputs are available. So let's take a look. Leaving menus. OK button. And I'll press tab. Cancel button. Input show mixl plus our checkbox checked. This is the first time that we've talked about the various inputs and outputs that are available in the device. So let's discuss what they all mean. The first one is the show mix, and this is a pretty simple one. It just sends everything that your vocaster is hearing out to be recorded. Now, there is a potential downside of this, and that is if you are recording a remote interview on a service that does not have good or any echo cancellation. CleanFeed comes to mind. CleanFeed can enable echo cancellation, but it will degrade the quality of the audio. As its name implies, the objective with CleanFeed is to give you clean audio and echo cancellation compromises that. So if someone is being sent the show mix via CleanFeed, they will hear themselves echoing back. If you're on Zoom or Teams or something that has good echo cancellation, this may not be an issue, but it's something that you will need to be aware of. And the show mix is also what's being sent out to external devices such as your iPhone or other smartphone when it is connected via Bluetooth or the TRRS cable. I'll press tab. Input host mic plus guest mic checkbox checked. This mix gives you the host microphone on the left channel and the guest microphone on the right. So it's a pure stereo track. You wouldn't want to publish your podcast this way, believe me. I like a little bit of panning to give a bit of stereo width, but if you hard pan like that, you're going to make people very grumpy. So if you use this to record, make sure you record in mono or that you have a means to pan the channels a little bit so you don't get that extreme left-right panning. Apart from anything else, I mean, it's annoying to everybody, but it's also not particularly accessible for those who have a hearing impairment where they may not be able to hear well in one ear. 
but it does mean that you can hear your screen reader in your headphones and it won't get recorded. So that's an important advantage of this. Input aux L plus R checkbox checked. That's saying input aux, L slash R, aux is auxiliary, and this is the cable that runs from your smartphone to your Vocaster 2. So if you want to record from your smartphone, you would choose this. Input Bluetooth L plus R checkbox checked. Similarly, if you've got your smartphone paired via Bluetooth, this is the option to select to record your smartphone. Input loopback 1L plus R checkbox checked. Now we're on to the two loopback channels that are available in your device. The first loopback records from your default Focusrite sound source, which is simply in Windows called Speakers Vocaster 2. If you do nothing, then this is where all of your audio is going to go. There are some applications that don't allow you to specify where audio goes. And if you're using one of those applications, then the audio will go to the output called Speakers Vocaster 2. If you want to, you can change it to the second sets of inputs, and that's when it will record from the second loopback channel, which you can get to when I press tab. Inputs loopback 2L plus R checkbox checked. And that's the end of the inputs. So all of those are selectable in recording properties of your application. Now let's take a look at the outputs. Outputs Vocaster 2L plus R checkbox checked. Since Vocaster can't disable the default output device, you have to have a default output device, you only have the option to enable or disable the second output device. I just like having all of these checked, so I have as much flexibility as possible. And when we go into recording properties in Windows, we may find some other things that we want to talk about, but I'll tab OK button and activate the OK button. So we've now exposed all of the devices that are available in the Vocaster 2. If we go back to the system tray now, select a system tray icon dialog, Focusrite Vocaster 2 sample rate 480. Let's bring up the context menu. Context menu, Vocaster 2 settings. And see what's in Vocaster 2 settings. Leaving menus, streaming settings, sample rate combo box, 48000, one of one. This is a very accessible setup where you can change sampling rate, etc. Streaming settings, buffer size, combo box, 256, 9 of 11. This specifies your buffer size. The lower the buffer size, the more potential there is for clicks and pops and unusual things to happen, but the better the latency will be. 256 may be on the conservative side. You may want to try pulling it back a fraction and see how you go. Latency information safe mode checkbox checked. And then if I press the escape key, we will get out of this. There is no OK button in this screen. The other item of significant interest in that menu was the mixing slash routing option. And that will open the Vocaster Hub and we'll spend a lot of time in Vocaster Hub in a little bit. What I'd like to do now, though, is show you what's available in the Windows operating system now that we've checked what's visible. The easiest way to get to the full Windows volume control is a little known trick, actually. We'll go to the Run menu with Windows plus R. Zize.cpl, Run Dialog, type the name of a program, folder, document, or internet resource, and Windows will open it for you. Open, Edit Combo, Zize.cpl, 1 of 13. And it's popped up as the first option in my run dialog because I used this recently to have a bit of a play. What you do is you type mmsys.cpl into the run dialog and press enter. And that bypasses all of the screens and the angst of getting to the full Windows volume control. Just commit that to memory. You'll be glad you did. mmsys.cpl. I'll press enter. Desktop. 
Folder view list view. Not selected recycle bin. One of 33. Sound dialog. Playback page. Select a playback device below to modify its settings. Select a playback device below to modify its settings. List view speakers. Two Focusrite USB audio. Default device one of five. The first item is the speakers for the Focusrite. This is the default device and Windows says that it's speakers and then it says two Focusrite audio device. If I down arrow... Vocaster 2L plus R, two Focusrite USB audio, ready. That's the second set of outputs. So we have two sets of virtual stereo outputs on this device. The one that's called speakers is the default. And that's where everything will go unless you tell the application to send it to the other one, which is... Vocaster 2L plus R. Two Vocaster 2L plus R. And those are the two devices that are available as outputs on the Focusrite. The other items I have here are not relating to this device. I'll press shift with tab. Playback tab. And right arrow. Recording tab. And have a look at what's here on the recording tab. I'll press tab to get into the list. Select a recording device below to modify its settings. List view aux L plus R. Two Focusrite USB audio. Ready one of ten. The first item we see, because it starts with A, I guess, is the auxiliary left and right. And we talked about what that is previously. Bluetooth L plus R. Two Focusrite. Then we have the Bluetooth one. Host mic plus guest mic. Two. Host mic plus guest mic. Loopback 1L plus R. Loopback 1 left and right, and I want to emphasize that that will record whatever's been sent to the default speaker source. Loopback 2L plus R. Two. That will record anything sent to the left and right, the optional second source. Show mix L plus R. Two then we've got the show mix. Video call L plus R. Two Focusrite USB audio. Ready. This is an input that we didn't see in the list of checkboxes that we saw before, and it's actually a really important thing to understand. If you select video call as your input source, in other words, where you are recording from in your Windows application, you'll record everything coming from the Focusrite except what's being sent to the first set of loopback channels, in other words, the default speakers. The reason for this is it's applying a software mix minus, and this addresses the clean feed problem I was talking about with respect to the show mix. So if you want, for example, to use the second loopback to play audio clips down your podcast and let people on clean feed or squadcast or any of those services hear those things then you use this video call option they will not hear themselves echoing back because it's taken the loop one out of the mix for them there are so many blindness specific use cases for the setup but one that immediately comes to mind is if you are doing a webinar where you want to record the whole thing, but obviously you don't want people to hear themselves echoing back in something like Clubhouse with Club Deck or wherever it may be, then you can use this video call option. Make sure that the service that you're streaming to is set to this default option, so you really don't need to change anything and this will happen. And then you'll be able to send your screen reader to the mix and people can ask you questions without the fear of them echoing back. But I mean, why stop there? You could use your smartphone to go into Clubhouse and even a Bluetooth device to go into another service like Twitter Spaces. Everything would be coexisting. The correct mix minus would be applied in each case. So it's very powerful when it comes to spoken word and streaming and those sorts of applications. So the video call mix is something you're likely to play with a lot if you bring in remote guests. And that is all that is here in terms of the available inputs to the Windows operating system. I think it's time we took a look at Vocaster Hub.
One of the attractive things about the Vocaster range is that there aren't many buttons and dials to memorize. You do see similar products in the space that have a lot of buttons and dials, and you've got to commit all of those to memory as a blind person. The downside of that is that it means that a lot is being done potentially in software. In fact, some of the things that are done on hardware controls can also be done on software. If a manufacturer is taking that approach, it had better be accessible or it will lock blind people out. When I first ran the Vocaster Hub software, my heart sank because I had been promised accessibility and to me it didn't seem very accessible. I've come to a different view though and I've realised that sometimes I need to challenge my own perception of what constitutes accessibility. What I was expecting was that when I opened the Vocaster Hub software I would be able to tab around much like the experience that you get in the Windows volume control or generally in well-behaved applications. When I ran the Vocaster Hub software I wasn't able to do that. I've been told that tabbing around in other screen readers, NVDA and Narrator, works. For me though, it does not unless you enable the emulation of touchscreens or object navigation or whatever you might call that particular technology with the screen reader that you are using. I have a touchscreen on my ThinkPad X1 Carbon and I don't use it very often but I have been using it in Vocaster Hub and I'm really enjoying the experience. If you don't have a touchscreen, then all is not lost. You will need to use the touch cursor mode in JAWS and whatever the equivalent is in any other screen reader that you may be using. What I have found in my experiments with this is that if I go into the settings, which gives me information about the firmware I'm running, the sampling rate and a few other things of that nature, Narrator is speaking quite a bit more than JAWS is. And I'm not sure why that is. It's not a showstopper, but it is something to note. Also, when I use the touch cursor in JAWS, it does speak a bit of verbiage that I would rather it didn't speak, and I'm not seeing that verbiage being spoken in Narrator. So it's possible that this is something Vespero can tidy up. I have a feeling this device is going to gain some traction in our community. So I am a little bit worried about this in the sense that not everybody uses or knows about the touch cursor in JAWS or whatever the equivalent is in other screen readers. So I would far rather a lovely looking standard dialogue that you can tab through, but at the moment that's not what we have. It is, however, fully usable and configurable, and I think most people can live with that. I certainly can. Let's take a look at the Vocaster Hub. So I'll go to the Start menu and open it. Search box edit. I'll type VOC. Vocaster Hub app. Press right to switch preview. And I'll press Enter. Vocaster Hub, Vocaster Hub logo, Vocaster Hub logo graphic. Just to illustrate the point, if I press the Alt key, there is no menu bar. And if I press the Tab key, I'm not getting any feedback. But if I enable the touch cursor by pressing caps lock and shift with semicolon, because I have the laptop layout enabled, touch, it comes to life. And now I can write arrow, which is the equivalent of flicking right through the screen. Speaker mute, checkbox, not checked. Off- the f- The first option we have is a speaker mute button that will mute the speakers that are connected to the rear jacks of the device. And you want to do that if you were using your microphones, otherwise you'll get terrible feedback. If you're doing remote interviews, you may also get your microphones picking up your guests. So you would want to mute the speakers most of the time, I would suggest. All right, Arrow. Settings. Button. Now we've got a settings button. As I say, when we go in here, this will give us information about the sample rate that's been set, the version of the firmware we have, and other relevant information. Custom. This is Jaws saying custom. I'm not sure why it's saying that, so we just have to move past it. 
host custom. The first group of settings pertains to the host microphone, the host channel. 48V, checkbox, not checked, off. First, you can enable 48 volt power for your host microphone. I like the fact that you can separately choose whether to have 48 volts enabled for your host and your guest, because it's possible you've got a mix of mics, one person with a dynamic mic, another with a condenser. Mic level, slider, 48. This is the microphone level, so you can adjust the slider to turn the microphone up and down. You may never use this, and I'll explain why that is in just a moment. Mute checkbox, not checked. There's off. a mute button, so if I press the space bar. Host, mute checkbox checked, on, not checked. I just muted myself, simple as that. There is, of course, also a mute button on the device itself, at the very far left of that bottom row of buttons for the host. And that's even more convenient, and they relate to one another. So I'll press this button. Checked. Not checked. I was actually pressing the button on the hardware device, but because I had focus on the checkbox in the software, you heard that it also checked and unchecked. Pretty slick. Enhance. Checkbox. Checked. On. Currently, we've got the enhanced feature on, and that's why you can hear all this punchy compression. And again, that pertains to the second button from the left when you're dealing with the host options. So if I press that button... It doesn't say unchecked, but it actually is. Radio enhance. Checkbox. Not checked. Yeah, it, it does when I arrow right and left again, and it confirms that the enhancement is off. I mean, you can just use your ears and hear that the enhancement is off. I just press the button, and now if I... Radio enhance. Checkbox. Checked. On. There we go. The enhancement is back on. So it's cool the way there's this very tight integration between the hardware and the Vocaster Hub software. Now, our right arrow. Radio. Combo box. Collapsed. This is the combo box, which determines which preset you are using, and there is one of these combo boxes per microphone. Focusrite applies three effects, and they do it in this order. First, a high-pass filter. Second, a dynamic audio compressor. And third, a three-band graphical equalizer. There are two user guides for this product. One is for the full Vocaster hardware. The other is for the Vocaster hub software. And if you download that latter, both are PDF and both are accessible, you will find a table in the document for Vocaster hub that details for the audio geeks among us the exact parameters of the effects that are being applied. And no, you can't create and save your own. I'll press enter. Menu. Radio. Checked. And I'm in a menu of the presets and in order to navigate that menu, I'm going to turn off the touch cursor by double pressing the JAWS key with the semicolon in laptop layout. Touch PC. And now I can up and down arrow. Clean. Warm. Bright. Radio. Checked. Clean. I'll press enter. I'll turn the touch cursor back on. Touch. Title bar. Custom. Vocaster. Speaker mute. Setting. Custom. Host. 48V. Mic level. Mute. Enhanced, clean, combo box, collapsed. And now we have the clean preset set. So you will notice that I'm sounding a bit different now, and indeed I can hear that as I monitor myself. I've taken a pause, gone back into the menu, and now I'll down arrow. Warm combo box, warm. Hello, I'm just going to talk a bit on all of these presets so you can hear the effect that they are having, clearly different ratios in terms of compression and equalization and filtering. So this is the warm one. Now I'll go back into the menu. Bright. Checked. Radio. Bright. Checked. Now we're in the bright setting. Now the Heil PR40 that I'm using is a bright microphone anyway. So I think that for my particular mic, 
This is just way too toppy. If you have a mic that is less bright, you might find that this just adds a little bit of sparkle to your audio. Right now, I think it's way too sparkly. Bright. Check radio. I pressed enter on radio and we're back on the radio preset, which is actually the one that I prefer. I really enjoy working with this one. I'll re-enable the touch cursor. Touch. And right arrow. Title bar. We're back at the top, so I'll just quickly skim through. Host. Cut 48V. Mic mute in. Auto guest. Cut 48V. Get all radio enhance. Radio. Combo box. The final feature available to each microphone input is the auto gain feature. First of all, let me explain a bit more about the third button from the left for the host or the third button from the right for the guest. If you tap this button, you'll then be able to adjust your microphone level manually using the larger dial on the device. You can also, having selected the channel that you're working with, press the 48-volt power micro switch, and that will enable or disable phantom power for the microphone that you've selected. If you hold down the third button from the left for the host or the third button from the right for the guest, they are actually next to each other, then you will begin the process of auto-gain This is highly desirable for a blind person and it's a dream for somebody who works in this field who also has a hearing impairment as well as being blind because it takes care of setting levels for you. When you initiate this process, you'll be expected to speak for about 10 seconds just at your normal speaking level so that the vocaster can make a determination about the right level to set. It generally ends up at between about minus 12 and minus 18 dB. So I'm going to press the button now and start talking, what will happen is that I will stop hearing myself in my headphones and you will mostly stop hearing me as well. So I'll press the button and hold it until my mic mutes and then I'll just say a few things for about 10 seconds, then I'll come back. Leaving menus, Vocaster Hub logo, Vocaster Hub logo graphic. And I can hear actually that the JAWS speech is chatting away because I pressed the button while I had focus control. And you can hear that now we are back and the level has been adjusted accordingly. There perhaps is a minor adjustment, maybe a little bit quieter than what I had it set at. But it's a super feature and it's so easy to initiate. Mic level, slider, 42. I just went back to the microphone level and you may recall that it was at 48 before and now it's down at 42. So indeed it has gone down just a little bit. Now I will write arrow. Mute, enhance, radio, combo bar, auto gain, button, guest, custom. Now we are on the guest strip, and I won't go through them in detail because they are identical to the host microphones, or a set of identical controls that cover your guest microphone, including auto gain, phantom power, volume, and the preset. Now you may be asking, why would I have a different preset for my guest mic from my host mic? Wouldn't that sound a bit weird? Well, maybe, but it might depend also on the speaker. And the microphone, if you have two microphones that are not the same manufacturer, they may sound different. And also compression and equalization is highly dependent on speaker. So it's a pretty cool setup, very flexible. Mute in radio auto mix custom. That controls the inputs in Vocaster 2. We're looking now at what gets sent to the show mix. We talked about the show mix earlier in this review. That's essentially the sum total of all of the inputs. Host channel strip custom custom. Custom. Host level. Slider. Zero. Zero means maximum. So if I up arrow. Zero. Zero. It's not going anywhere. If I down arrow, then I'm actually getting quieter in my headphones. But you're probably not hearing that because I'm recording directly from the host microphone in Reaper. So this only controls what you get 
in the show mix. My, 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 zero. On our right arrow. House mix mute. Checkbox. Not checked. O and like any mixer, you can mute each option if you want. Guest channel strip. Custom. House mix mute. Checkbox. Not checked. Off. To give you an example of what I'm talking about, if I press the space bar on this mute button, House mix mute checkbox checked. It's um. checked, and I can't hear myself through my headphones anymore because the headphones give me the show mix. However, you can still hear me because I'm recording directly from the microphone in Reaper. So to emphasize, these controls are only controlling what gets sent to the show mix. Not checked. Yeah, it's pretty hard to talk when you can't hear yourself coming back. <laughs> All right, Error. Guest channel strip. Custom. Custom. And now we have the equivalent controls for the guest channel strip. Custom. Guest level. Slider. Zero. Guest mix mute. Checkbox. Not checked. Custom. Aux channel strip. Custom. Now we are looking at how loud the auxiliary channel is in the show mix. If you want to adjust the level for recording in Reaper or some sort of application that uses ACO, then you would do that either by controlling the volume on the device itself or by adjusting the input in your digital audio workstation software we'll talk a bit more about reaper in a little bit custom 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 aux level slider zero and that again is set to the max aux mute checkbox not checked aux custom bluetooth channel strip custom 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 bluetooth level slider 13 now the bluetooth i have set quite quietly because I had the volume reasonably high up on my device when I was using Bluetooth. Bluetooth mute. Checkbox. Not checked. Custom. Loopback. Custom. Loopback one channel strip. Custom. This is for loopback and how loud you hear that in the show mix. Custom. 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 Loopback one level. Slider. Minus 10. I found that it was a little loud to have it at zero, so I've adjusted that down. Loopback one mute. Checkbox. Not checked. Loopback two channel strip. Custom. 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 Loopback to level. Slider. Minus 15. Loopback to mute. Checkbox. Not checked. Off. And now we'll write error. Custom. Show mix channel strip. Custom. Here's the master volume for the whole show mix. How loud is everything? Custom. 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 Show mix level. Slider. Zero. But if I'm finding that it's clipping when I record from the show mix, I could turn that down. That's Vocaster Hub. Easy to use and intuitive as long as you know how to use the touch cursor or as long as you think about switching on the touch cursor or whatever the equivalent is in your screen reader. And not everybody will know or think to do that. Focusrite have been receptive to this feedback and I'd like to hope that in a future version of Vocaster Hub you will be able to press the tab key and shift the focus which is the key thing that is missing at this point. The tab key is not doing anything in the application itself. However, where there's a problem like this, there is an opportunity for JAWS scripts, and I'm pleased to say that yet again Brian Hartgen of Hartgen Consultancy is coming to the rescue, and I have at the time of this recording what is a very early beta of JAWS scripts for Vocaster Hub. This does a couple of important things. First, if you have these scripts installed and you run Vocaster Hub, you will be able to tab through the window like you would expect to be able to do. Second, when you're in a high-pressure situation like a live stream where every second counts, you don't want to be tabbing or flicking around the screen looking for the fader to adjust. And these JAWS scripts assign hotkeys to every single slider and every single function in Vocaster Hub. 
Now, I won't go into a major demo of these scripts at the moment because the copy that Brian has kindly sent me to give you a proof of concept is very early. But Brian has told me that he will be making these Vocaster Hub scripts available free for two reasons. First, he appreciates that there are some things that it is proving a bit difficult to script around because of the way that the application is designed. But second, Focusrite are engaging in a commendable way with the blind community regarding Vocaster and other products at the moment. And so we'd like to hope that some of this feedback will be taken on board and that a lot of the functionality of these draw scripts will only be necessary temporarily. Clearly, if Focusrite adds the ability to tab through this application and also potentially hotkeys to the application, then everybody, regardless of screen reader, will be able to do that. But I have the JAWS scripts installed now, so let's take a look at the effect that they have. I'll just confirm that I'm in the right window. Vocaster Hub. I am indeed. The first thing you will notice is that you can use navigation quick keys in JAWS now to get to where you need to be. We've seen, for example, that the list of presets from which you can choose is a combo box. If I press the letter C, menu, preset combo box, I'm immediately in my list of presets, the first of which, of course, is for the host. I can also press X to go to the next checkbox. 48V, checkbox, not checked. That happens to be the checkbox for 48 volt power, and I'm right there by pressing the letter X to get to the checkbox. I can also press the letter F to navigate by form field. Mic level, slider, 41. I'm currently on the mic level now, and now that I'm here, I can use up and down arrow. 46, 51, 46, 41 to adjust the microphone level. So far easier to use now thanks to these JAWS scripts. If you like your hotkeys, and when you use an application frequently enough, you'll like your hotkeys, then these scripts are a dream, and they're very logically organized. When you have your hands physically on the Vocaster, you'll note that functions pertaining to the host are on the left, and functions pertaining to the guest are on the right. And the scripts emulate that, so functions beginning with the control key pertain to the host because control is on the left and functions pertaining to the guest are on the alt key because alt is on the right. If I press, for example, control with the number four, host 48V, checked. I'm now on the checkbox to enable 48 volt power and I actually think it may have done that so I need to press that again. Host 48V, not checked. And it is unchecked that. Luckily, the Hyo doesn't mind that. If I press Alt with the number 4, Guest, 48V, checked. And I'll uncheck that. Not checked. So we pressed Control 4 for the 48 volt power for the host and Alt 4 for the guest. And this is a pattern that is followed right throughout the Vocaster scripts. I'm not going to go through every hotkey because I promise you these scripts are full of them and they're really useful, especially when you're using this day in, day out. But for example, let's say that I am talking to someone and I notice that they're coming through my iPhone a little quiet and I've got my iPhone connected to the auxiliary cable. All I have to do with Vocaster Hub in Focus and these JAWS scripts running is press Alt Windows A for auxiliary. Auxiliary level. Mix, auxiliary channel strip, auxiliary level left right slider, zero. I'm placed right on the auxiliary volume and it's ready to adjust. But what if I'm talking with someone on Bluetooth, not with the auxiliary cable? Well, following the same pattern, we press Alt and Windows and B for Bluetooth. Bluetooth level. Bluetooth channel strip, Bluetooth level left right slider, 17. And we're placed straight on the Bluetooth function. And as I say, you can find a hotkey for every function as far as I can tell 
in the Vocaster Hub. If you'd like to know more about these scripts as they develop, and indeed whether there may not be a need for them anymore in future, because perhaps Focusrite will add these hotkeys and the ability to tab, you can go to Brian Hartgen's website at hartgen.org. That's H-A-R-T-G-E-N.org. Where the Vocaster really shines is when you use it with a digital audio workstation such as Reaper or anything that is using ASIO, at least in Windows. What you're looking for is a digital audio workstation that allows you to set any channel to any track so that you can have maximum flexibility when you record. I've been using this with Reaper as I've got to know the Vocaster and at the risk of hyperbole, it is a phenomenal combination. Using Reaper as an example, because it's affordable and highly accessible and widely used in the blind community, what you'd need to do after connecting the Vocaster or Vocaster 2 to your computer is to go into Preferences in Reaper by pressing Control p You know if you're a Reaper user, there's a pretty extensive tree view there. You want to choose Device. If you tab around, you'll find that you can choose the audio system that is to be in use. By default, for maximum compatibility, Reaper uses the technology built into Windows. It is mediocre compared to ACO. So whenever ACO is available, you'll get lower latency. You'll get more flexibility. In this case, ACO is available, so choose it. You then want to make sure that the checkbox to enable inputs is checked and that the first one is selected in the first combo box. The last one, believe it or not, it is number 14 in the list, is selected in the second combo box for inputs and do a similar thing for outputs. Then you are good to go and you can follow along. I am recording this in Reaper. Let's take a look at the options on offer. If I arrow down to a track, three armed 41 items, and I will now press the context menu key, context menu, monitor input. I'll press I for input, input, mono check sub menu, and right arrow. Video call L. Here we have the left channel for video call. Of course, just one channel may be sufficient in most cases. Video call R. So that's the second channel. On to channel 3. Show mix L. Show mix R. Host microphone. Next, we have the host microphone on the track that I'm actually recording into and that is armed right now for recording. I have the host microphone selected. Guest microphone. Another one for the guest microphone. Auxel. And here we have the two auxiliary channels. That's usually what you would have your smartphone connected to with the TRRS cable. Auxar. Now remember, you can assign these to different tracks. So if you do your podcast via Reaper, hopefully your mouth is starting to water now when you see all these possibilities. You could, for example, have you in one track, your iPhone in another track, speech from your screen reader in another track, speech from a guest in another track. You can pan it all. You can mix it the way you want. You can do post-production and apply different compression and effects. I mean, it's really cool. Bluetooth L. There's the Bluetooth. Bluetooth R. Loopback 1L. Here are the two loopback. Loopback 1R. So that's the first loopback left and right. Loopback 2L check. And the second one. And that's checked at the moment because that's where I have JAWS set to. And the track I happen to choose to arrow through the inputs is the one that is recording JAWS right now. Loopback 2R. Video call L. And now we're back. We've wrapped around. And if you go into stereo, just to show you what we have there. Input. Input. Stereo submenu. We've got this. Video call L slash video call R. Video call R slash show mix L. Show mix L slash show mix R. Show mix R slash host microphone. Host microphone slash guest microphone. Guest microphone slash aux L. Aux L slash aux R. Aux R slash Bluetooth L. Bluetooth L slash Bluetooth R. Bluetooth R slash loopback 1L. 
loopback 1L slash loopback 1R, loopback 1R slash loopback 2L. That's actually quite an interesting combination there, but I'm not sure why you would do this when you could really just assign whatever you need to separate tracks, which is far easier. Loopback 2L slash loopback 2R, video call L slash video call R. And now we're wrapped around again. So 14 glorious channels of input to play with. Let's pair the Vocaster 2 with my iPhone via Bluetooth. Bluetooth is obviously available in both devices. The first thing I want to do is set up Reaper to record from that source. So I'm going to press Control T to create a new track. Five zero items. Track name. Nathan on Vocaster Edit. I'm going to call it Bluetooth and press Enter. Track list. Five Bluetooth zero. This is track five in this little Reaper project, and it's called Bluetooth. I need to set the input, and the Bluetooth is stereo capable, so I want to set the input to be a stereo one. I'll invoke the context menu. Context menu. Monitor input. And press I. Input. Mono check sub menu. Or down arrow. Input. Stereo sub menu. And right arrow to expand this. Video call L slash video call R. I'll press the letter B. Bluetooth L slash Bluetooth R. That's what I want. I'll press Enter. Leaving menus. And now I'll arm this track. Five Bluetooth zero. Yep. So we'll press F7 to arm it. Armed. Now what I have to do is grab my handy dandy iPhone and we'll say to Siri, open Bluetooth settings. Settings. I've got the phone pretty close to the microphone right now. I'll flick right. Bluetooth. Heck, Bluetooth on. Now discoverable as a dozen apples. All right, a dozen apples. Now, the first thing I have to do, of course, is press the button to put the Vocaster 2 in pairing mode. If you feel the rear of the unit, you will find two buttons at the top. The one that is just to the right of the TRRS slot is the Bluetooth pairing button. So I'm going to press that now, and that should have enabled Bluetooth pairing, and the device should now be discoverable. Let's see if that's the case. I'll navigate by hitting in this screen. My devices heading. And we'll keep going. Other devices, heading. And flick right. In progress, heading. Vocaster BT button. And there it is, Vocaster BT button. I'll double tap. Vocaster BT connecting. Bluetooth on. Whoa, look at that. We now have the speech from Alex from VoiceOver coming directly into the recording. I'll invoke the home gesture now. Flick up from the bottom of the screen. And we're at the home screen. If I flick right now... Smart Home for Sonos, App Store, Ira, ASB, Ira. It is a little bit sluggish, and you will get that with Bluetooth, of course. There is a latency issue there sometimes. So that could also be reflected potentially in the recording. Because one of the primary use cases for this is that you might want to interview someone who doesn't have online capability. They're not comfortable even using Zoom or anything like that. So the only way to get them on your show is with a phone call. I'm going to make some phone calls as part of this demonstration, and I'm going to call my spotty nephew, see if we can wake him up. Call spotty mobile. Calling Anthony Horvath. Mobile. Button. Anthony. Hey, dude, hang on. Good afternoon. Uh, uh, welcome. Hang on. Okay. I'm, um, I'm, 
I'm eating. I'm just answering on my watch. Oh, you're on your watch. Well, so we're calling you live on the Vocaster demonstration, and you've come up on your Apple Watch. I have. Right. So how does it sound to you? It sounds extremely it, – it's, it's, it's very, very clear, very crystal clear, nice bass. Because we're, well. we're actually using the Bluetooth at the moment, so this isn't even the cable at this point. Wow. Yeah, I, I noticed. You know, when we had looked look at it beforehand, that there was a little bit of a um, a little bit of a breakup with Bluetooth. I haven't noticed it yet, though. Okay, and it may just be that when we were doing a little bit of playing before, I had the levels overly hot, and that's something I haven't mentioned is that you do get a clipping indicator that is accessible in the Vocaster Hub. So it may have just been too much level coming into the Bluetooth. Yeah, they, wow. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm glad that clipping count's quite ex- accessible now then. What you're hearing is me coming through the microphone, the high PR40. So you are getting the full mix. If I had somebody on clean feed, all that kind of stuff, you would hear the whole thing. You're hearing me coming oh, out yeah, of my mic. Yeah, so that means, yeah. though, that if I do a window title. Focus right vocaster to review and tutorial modified Reaper V6.63 registered to Jonathan Mosen license for personal slash small business use. You presumably are hearing that. Hello, Daniel. Yes, welcome, oh, Daniel. 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 So Daniel. the one thing that I would like to see with this is that there isn't a way to subtract one particular channel from the mix that gets sent out to the phone. And for a blind person who might want to hear their screen reader speech but not have that sent out to a guest via Bluetooth or the TRRS cable, that's a bit of a shame. But that could be a software feature that might be added in the future. Now, that that would be nice if it was. Yes. Well, thank you very much. And I will probably call you back soon as we have a look at the other way to talk to a device on this thing. Okay. um, for, For the second call, I'll make sure I have my phone beside my food. Good idea. Never be without your phone. Don't leave home without it. (laughs) Goodbye. Okie dokie. Goodbye. Bye. And that's all there is to it, really. Pairing with Bluetooth was a snap, and now people who call you can hear the whole mix. You can hear them. Just be mindful of the fact that at the moment there's no way to exclude a screen reader from the mix. Let's take a listen to what high-quality stereo music sounds like when it's played via this Bluetooth method. I've got the music bed, the little royalty-free music bed from Sound Ideas that we're using for this presentation. And it's on my phone, and I'm going to double-tap it, and we'll just hear what that sounds like in stereo. So it's coming from the Bluetooth now. I paused that. So a good implementation of Bluetooth, mindful of the latency that we see with a lot of these Bluetooth 5 devices. You should also be aware that if you want to record from your iPhone from the Vocaster 2, you are going to need the cable. This works fine for telephony type applications. It's not going to work for audio recorders. With that in mind, we'll move on to a cable solution. But before we do that, to avoid any ambiguity, we'll go into Bluetooth settings on the phone. Open Bluetooth settings. We'll go through the device. Settings button. Bluetooth. Now discover a my device, APH Mantis. It is quite sluggish as we use voiceover with this. 
Not connected. Info button. Focus 40. Info button. Jonathan's Apple Watch. Connected. Info button. Cocoon Nightbuds. Not connected. Info button. Magic Keyboard. Not connect. Info. Roger on. Not connected. Info. Vocaster BT. Info. I'll double tap info. Info. Bluetooth. Back button. Vocaster B. Name. Vocaster. Device type. Disconnect. But forget this device. Button. And double tap. Forget alert. Forget device. Button. Double tap again. Jonathan's Apple Watch. Settings. And now. Bluetooth. Yep, we're back on the speaker of the phone. Settings button. Which means we're ready to introduce you to another way to get audio into the vocaster. For latency, for reliability, for general ease of use, you cannot beat working with a cable in a situation like this. I went to Amazon when I got my Zoom PodTrack P4 and I purchased a TRRS to TRRS cable. It was really cheap. They sent it to me and it's proven to be a very handy wee thing because Apple has seen fit in its infinite wisdom or not. Not to have a headphone jack directly in the iPhone, you will have to have a lightning to 3.5 millimeter adapter at one end of the TRRS cable so that it can plug in to your iPhone. Before I plug anything in, I want to set up a track in Reaper to record from this input. To do that, I'll press Control T. Six zero items. Track name. And on Vocaster. And I'm going edit. to call this AUX and press Enter. Track list. Six or zero items. I'll press the context menu. Context menu. Monitor input. I for input. Input. Mono check sub menu. We'll go down again. Input. Stereo sub menu. And right arrow. Video call L slash video call R. I'm going to press the letter A. Auxl slash R. And there we are. Auxl and R. I'll press enter. Leaving menus. And now I just need to make sure that track is armed. Six auxil armed. It's armed. And that means that I can grab the little cable that is dangling from the TRRS jack. And this is the jack that is right by the Bluetooth pairing button on the top row. So there are two 3.5 millimeter jacks. One is on the top row, and that is for your TRRS cable for the AUX input. The other is on the bottom row, and that is an output. It's a 3.5 millimeter line out for cameras, but I suppose it could be used for any line out situation potentially. So I've got the end of the cable in my hand. It's got the lightning adapter on the end. I'll grab my handy dandy iPhone again from the desk and plug this in. And that's all that's necessary. You may have been able to hear a little click. Now when I flick right. Bluetooth. Bluetooth. Now my, oh my info. Bluetooth. Super responsive because all we've got is a wire now. There's no wireless protocol in place. I'll go home. And now we're at the home screen. Let's repeat the same process that we did before. We'll make a phone call to Anthony. And I'll just use a regular phone call again so that you can hear any difference. Call Spotty Mobile. Calling Anthony Horvath, mobile. Good afternoon. Welcome to your second appearance on this Vocaster 2 demo. Oh my goodness. What will I do with all this fame and fortune? I have no idea. But I now have you on the cable. Does it sound any better or different? It does 
sound a little better, actually. Yeah, it it, it 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 really does sound just more more punchy. It has it has even more bass than before. And I'm sure if we were using a higher quality connection like WhatsApp or FaceTime or one of those guys, it would be even more pronounced. Actually, it would, it would. But we only, but we're just using the good old mobile data. Yep, because I think that most people who will use this will want to do it this way. For people who aren't able to use WhatsApp or Clean Feed or any of those options, so this is a good way of getting anybody with a phone into the show. Completely agree. Marvelous. Uh, it does oh. it, sound so good. Excellent. Well, thank you for your help. You are very welcome. No, I'm off to go buy mine. Oh, are you going to buy one? I am, yes. Excellent. Have fun. We look forward to your podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, if somebody can come up with a good idea, let me know. Okay, then. Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. Wow. Anthony's buying a Vocaster too, so Spotty Cast could be coming to a podcast app near you. What I want to do is something a bit different, something we couldn't do with the Bluetooth option, and that is to go into my favorite recording app for iOS, which is Ferrite. Open Ferrite. Sort by ellipsis, modification, date, button. And I'll flick right. Tools, button, sort by ellipsis, search, search, ready to record, mono. It says it's recording in mono. Record button. Monitoring off. Headset microphone button adjustable. And that's how it presents itself to iOS. It's coming up as a headset mic. And you can hear that Ferrite's accessible level monitoring is kicking in. And I'm clipping just a wee bit if I talk loud. So we're about right, I think. If I flick left. Record button. I'll double tap the record button and we will start making a recording. Stop button. Now, all being equal, we are now recording from the Heil PR40 thanks to the Vocaster 2. And this gives you the show mix. So it also means that if we down arrow here in Reaper, six under six items, it will be recording that. It would be great if you could have a show mix minus one channel. If you could go in and configure exactly what gets sent out to the TRRS jack, that would be very handy for those of us who want to use a screen reader, perhaps because we want to check how much time has elapsed or something like that. One thing that you should note, though, is because there is mix minus on this TRRS input, if I flick left now, Input recording duration input on stop. I'm just monitoring around the screen. You won't hear that on the recording that you have made because there's mix minus in play. Input on stop mon stop button. I'll double tap. Stop selected. New recording two one minute six seconds today one p.m. And when you press stop in Ferrite, it immediately then puts focus on the new recording that you've made. So I can just double tap it and we will hear the recording. Stop button. Now, all being equal, we are now recording from the Heil PR40 thanks to the Vocaster 2. And that and sounds this great. gives you the show mix. So it also means that if we down arrow here in Reaper. Six under six items. I've just paused that now, but that's a pretty good recording. And it does mean that if you feel the need to make a backup recording, you can certainly do that this way. And the other test that we did when we were working with Bluetooth was to play a bit of stereo music. So let's do that down the cable now with that same music bed.
it is in all its cabled glory. There's no doubt that Bluetooth is super convenient, but because of the latency, in other words, how long it takes from when you swipe around the screen with voiceover until you hear a response, I do prefer the cable option. On the Mosin at Large podcast, particularly during the height of the pandemic, when a lot of people were locked down around the world, I got a lot of questions from people about how you can hear multiple devices from one source. And actually, the Vocaster 2 is a way of doing that. You could have one device connected to it via Bluetooth, another connected via the cable, and of course, you can hear the computer that it's all plugged into. Three separate devices, and that could be a realistic prospect in your workday. You could have one of these on your desk in your office, even if you're not a podcaster, and be able to hear all of these different devices. You control the volume using Vocaster Hub. I found that once you get the volumes the way you like them, you seldom have to go in there to make any changes. We're almost at the end of our comprehensive look at Vocaster 2 from a blindness perspective. But here are a few final thoughts and comments. I've not used Vocaster Hub on the Mac, but I'm told it is fully accessible with VoiceOver, the screen reader built into Mac OS. I can certainly imagine that that's the case, because even on Windows, the user paradigm is very Mac-like. Vocaster 1 and Vocaster 2 work with an iPad with a USB-C port, so you can use a quality door like Ferrite on iPadOS or perhaps live stream with Backpack Studio and get great results. I don't know if it works with the camera adapter kit for iPhone. There's no indication on the Focusrite website that it does. The Vocaster 2 is such an easy device to configure and use that its power is almost understated. For podcasting or streaming requirements, this thing does an awful lot. I'm about to undertake some overseas travel, and I know that if I have one of these with me, I can do audio production from anywhere. If you do a lot of recording outside a studio environment, the Vocaster 2 may not be for you. The PodTrack P4 from Zoom is usable by a blind person and can record four separate tracks of audio right onto an SD card. You can then take that back into Reaper or whatever your digital audio workstation is and do the mixing later. Having to carry an iPad or a laptop with you if you do this kind of recording once in a while may be all right, but if it's most of what you do, it may be a bit unwieldy. But you have to balance that out with the accessibility trade-offs. You can memorize it, but you have no actual access to the screen as you navigate the menu system on the P4. There's no accessible way with the P4 to verify that you really are recording like you think you are. And I don't want to overstate that. You can make a quick recording and make sure everything's working, but there are tasks on the device, infrequent though they may be required, where you either need a cheat sheet or a great muscle memory. The beauty of the Vocaster range is that every single function is fully accessible, plus the fact that you have 14 channels of audio to play with in an environment like Reaper, which is quite amazing. If you're a musician or you have a hardware mixer in your studio, there is no line level or instrument level input in this device, so it's unlikely to meet your needs, but Focusrite have many other devices much better suited to those requirements. At the time of recording, the configuration software for many of those other devices is not accessible. Hopefully what we're seeing with Vocaster 2 is a trend that will emerge. But I think most people record podcasts in one location regularly, either on their own or with a co-host or by bringing in remote co-hosts or guests. For that use case, this is a breakthrough device for the blind community in my view because of how accessible it is. 
Being able to get a good clip-free level for your mic at the press of a button is a huge deal when you can't see the meters and you may find the software solutions daunting. And this is only the first two of these devices, and we're working with early builds of the software. I hope Focusrite intends taking this range to even greater heights, perhaps with a new device that adds more microphone inputs and enhanced software for the whole range. If you want an all-in-one accessible package for your podcasting, streaming, and other voice-related needs, I don't think you'll be disappointed with the Vocaster 2. Maybe it's the tool that you've been waiting for to create your first podcast. I love to hear from you, so if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Posing at large,